So welcome to the Branching podcast, Joe. Tell us a bit more about yourself, please. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Um, so my name's Joe Glover. I am now 30 years old, which is uh, a new thing for me, which is mad. And I run a company called The Marketing Meetup, which is a community of some 28,000 plus marketers around the world now. About 77% of those are UK-based. Uh, the rest are distributed from Macedonia to 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 America um, and we come together to learn about marketing uh, connect with other marketers and do it in a way which feels kind and lovely and safe and inclusive uh, we, we come together because we love marketing we want to get better at it we're curious open-minded people um, but we sort of run as a bit of a counterblast to folks who sort of feel that we need to be judged by our job titles or our budgets uh, we come together because we want to get better and and that feels like the right thing to do so all in all it's a it's a really lovely experience um and i mean that in the truest sense of the word i'm very very lucky uh, if i was to introduce myself i would say i'm the luckiest man in the world so uh, that's me <laughs> so uh, to go back to 2016 when you decided to set up the marketing meetup I mean, there were plenty of marketing meetup groups on places like Meetup. So mm. to what do you attribute your success? Initially, it was just in Cambridge. So yeah. tell me a bit about that. <laughs> I guess I would say naivety, ignorance uh, <laughs> and uh, elbow grease, probably. Um, but I think, you know, if we're given the serious answer, then it's probably not so much what we do, but how we do it. Um, and, and, and as you rightly point out, there's plenty of places where marketers can learn. There's plenty of places where marketers can meet each other, but actually where you combine both of those things and, and you create an environment which feels all the words that I used earlier. Um, that's, that's the difference. That's, that's the thing that matters. Um, it matters because there are marketers and there are human beings who don't fit into the traditional mold of, of this corporate agenda and, and trying to, Mm -hmm. uh, fit into networking scenarios that, that don't feel natural so we just provided something that felt a little bit different um, and felt very human and I, I think that that's the reason for the main the main reason for success it's not what we've done it's how we've done it um, and, and that comes through in everything we've ever sort of put out there whether it's the the in-person events the online events or uh, or even just stuff down to our email tone um, all of these things matter because every one of those reinforce that we're truly there for people because we want to be and we want to make it a nice experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure that everyone thinks about things those ways, but um, because it's just me and uh, one part-time employee and one director, we're not we're not driven by a massive commercial agenda. We're genuinely there to help. And uh, over the course of time, then we found that the money's kind of followed as well, which means that we can continue to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, really, the success is just about really caring about people and providing that environment where they feel welcome. Yeah, well, I mean, I've done plenty of sort of networking, sorted out networking events um, in my time, but I, I never then went on to think this could be something bigger. So what made <laughs> you think that, yeah. you know, apart from just providing a networking event, that this mm -hmm. could be something else? I mean, did you start with that intention? No, absolutely not. So after the first event, then it was my, my mission was achieved. You know, I'd met other marketers, I'd learned about marketing and, and I had a lovely time doing it. Um, and in, in fact, I continued doing it in Cambridge over the course of 
six to eight months without any sort of like expansion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was only when folks were coming up to me over the course of time and saying, hey, I've driven from Birmingham to come to this event in Cambridge uh, to go to a canteen, <laughs> you know, that I was sort of like, ah, that's interesting. Uh, combine that with other folks who were coming up to me and saying, look, I've come to this event from Bedford and actually I'd love to run an event closer to my house you know and actually i'm quite happy to do it myself with your blessing you know just under our banner and and so that's how we grew over the course of time it was never set out to be this mad this mad journey that it's been it's all been very organic where people have sort of recognized that mm-hmm. there is something in the i want to say there's something in the brand you know but there wasn't really a brand early on there's just something in in how we've chosen to do things that people resonate with and want to do more of um Mm -hmm. so yeah there was never a big ambition and in fact that's something that i've wrestled with over the course of time as well because Mm -hmm. when you start a community like i have then i think you start in a place of like look i just want to give i want to want to give 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 and when folks walk up to you and sort of say hey you know i'd like to give you a bit of money and and can i put my logo on it and stuff like that you're like oh no you know (laughs) i don't want your money um but then of course there's practicalities to these things and and for the longest time I thought that it had to be a pure experience free of commercialism. And actually when we're speaking about community, then there's a practical side to it, which is look, it's really important that we do have some financial stuff in there too. Um, And and for that reason, it's great to seek out partners who sort of match those ambitions and and match that sort of um, that way of thinking. And even that element of it, the financial element of it has been, uh, entirely enjoyable because of the folks who contribute to, to to that part of the world as well. So, at what point did you actually create the brand? You know, in terms of thinking that it's about kindness and being lovely, etc. <laughs> uh, when did that come about? And your logo and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, the the first logo was made in Paint uh, in Microsoft Paint. Um, it was uh, a square with some words in it, <laughs> and, and and that was it. You know, there was nothing fancy about it, um, and and we had that from the off, but that was about it the rest it kind of comes in two stages so the foundation of the group uh, was very much about that humanity and, and coming together and listening overselling and and that was clear from the off you know that was the group that i wanted to attend so that's the language i put around the event and therefore it attracted folks who were attracted to that language um we based the the meetup on meetup.com initially as well so we got that initial traction through that platform However, there was also like an organic evolution over the course of time. So we use three words to describe uh, how folks should behave at marketing meetup events, which is uh, listen, say hello, and be positively lovely. Mm-hmm. And we reinforce those things all the time. And those three sort of phrases only came into being maybe six, seven months into the journey, right. which means to say that it was like, it was just a moment that I put something on a slide and then I was at the front and I was presenting and then people just sort of smiled back at me when they saw that those those sort of values were conveyed. And it was in that moment where I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just mention that again next month. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people sort of came back and like, oh, you know, be positively lovely. You know, that's that sounds really twee, <laughs> which it is. Um, but it's also something that stood out. And um, so twofold answer to your question. The first was that it was quite a conscious act to create a group that felt like that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of defining the branding and stuff like that, then 
that was an iterative process over the course of time. Um, another example of that is that our present branding, the logos, the, the look, the feel of the marketing meetup. I think we've only had that for about 14 months. Nope. Uh, so actually the marketing meetup has been going for nearly six years now. Um, and it was only relatively recently in, in the scale of that journey that we actually changed to something that looks semi, semi-professional. Mm. Uh, before that, it was still the same old logo that was made in paint. Um, you know, and actually the rest of it was the most important thing for us was the look that was the feel of the event, the feel of the communications and uh, everything else kind of followed from that point, really. Yeah. So with a name like Marketing Meetup, you can't really protect it except as a logo. So, you know, um, how do you actually control who uses the name? I mean, to, to the extent that you can, if somebody wants to set up a marketing meetup in another part of the country, mm-hmm. you know, why would they come to you and, you know, tell me how you've managed that? <laughs> um, so we've got, we've got a fairly sort of comprehensive, um, mm-hmm. uh, initially we called them franchisees. I think, uh-huh. you know, really they're organizers. Uh, we've got a fairly comprehensive organizer manual that exists. I think it's about 4,000 words on how to run a marketing meetup event with right. uh-huh. logos and, and sort of language tips and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of getting folks to use the marketing meetup stuff in the right way, then, then that's how we do it. Um, also, all of our organizers would have previously been attendees at marketing meetup events as well. So they'll know and they'll know the look and feel of the event because they've been there, they've experienced it. Um, you're, you're definitely right in terms of like, it's definitely like the Ron seal thing, you know, it's kind of the name is what it says on the tin, um, sort of thing. And, and, you know, people come to me from time to time sort of saying, what do you think of this name of this company? And I'm like, I don't know. I called my thing the most obvious thing in the world, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I would say that it's obviously very, very hard to protect on a sort of like legal level. But I, I think we've got the brand awareness now in the community, certainly in the UK, mm. that folks, you know, if someone else was to start something called the marketing meetup now, mm-hmm. you know, people would be like, you know is that that thing <laughs> you know and and sort of you know sort of feedback that 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 was a thing so i guess we've kind of reached that sort of escape trajectory to a certain extent mm-hmm. that um certainly in the uk that it would be weird if someone else was to do it now mm-hmm. um, but there is a there's an eastern european company called marketing meetup mm-hmm. um you know and, and we coexist perfectly yeah. happily i've never spoken to them but you know it's, it's not a problem so um yeah. So do you charge a license fee for people to become franchisees? How does it work? No, we we don't. So this is in the context of pre-COVID world. Um, So we had 13 locations around the UK and then we started in New York um, as well, pre-COVID. And if we're speaking like in purely commercial language which i I don't really like to do about the meetup all that often but um if we're speaking in that way then it was definitely a deliberate strategy that like we knew we could grow the community quicker if we had more events Mm -hmm. and therefore it was in our interest to have more locations Mm -hmm. um, and therefore a barrier to entry of asking people to pay Mm -hmm. lots of money to represent the marketing meetup wasn't really going to be the way that we did things Mm -hmm. um 
secondly combined in that you know i think when you find people you you trust and enjoy the company of and and love bouncing the ideas off and stuff like that you can't help but be excited to work with them mm. and so when a bunch of exciting people sort of get in touch and say i'd love to run an event near me i'm like you know hell yeah let's do it so uh sure. it's that that was you know never really an issue about money changing hands on those things we we did offer a, a profit split so mm. if um local organizers were to um run an event that ran profitably off the basis of sponsorship that they could gather in their local area then we would split it i think it was 70 30 in their favor mm -hmm. um again you know the meetup's never really been a a, a wonderful exercise in mm -hmm. business <laughs> it's uh it's an exercise in community first and foremost but the interesting thing about that was most of our organizers were next to had next to no interest at all in being paid for being involved with the community you know they of course get benefits of standing in the front of a room and sort of saying you know hey i'm i'm nick you know and, and welcome to the marketing meetup presented by me that's undoubted that you know their sort of personal branding would would be a good thing but um yeah financially nobody was really that bothered so um it was it was a fairly easy very human interaction of let's, let's do something fun together and, and, yeah uh, and it was so it's it's a bit reminds me of places like toastmasters which have become very international and um i don't think people make a lot of money out of it but it's just a format for people to learn how to speak in public i guess what you're doing is a way to learn about marketing i guess absolutely no it, it's very very similar you know um I, I don't know the Toastmasters model in and out, you know, and, and so I can comment on the similarities or differences, but certainly in terms of the the spirit of it, then it feels quite similar. And people speak so warmly about Toastmasters as well, how it's helped them move yeah. forward and, and, and get better. That's, you know, I, I can't, you know, lie that the money element is not important, mm -hmm. but um it's not the most important thing and, and so you know if we're covering our faces i've got a um 11 month old daughter you know and if i can afford to feed her and, and heat the house then you know that's that's good and then the rest of the time we'll focus on helping people sure so it's you've got sponsors who who help you to meet your running expenses presumably your any staff that you need yeah yeah so we've got when did you first get sponsors? Uh, right from the off, uh, straight from, yeah. So uh, the first two sponsors were a company called Brand Recruitment and Cambridge Marketing College. And the thought that I had going through my head was, I'm going to bring a bunch of marketers into a room. Who wants to speak to a bunch of marketers? And uh, Brand Recruitment are a marketing recruitment specialist company. And uh Cambridge Marketing College do marketing qualifications so mm -hmm. they were two no-brainers in, mm -hmm. in the local area to sort of approach um, as I said it wasn't really a, a massive profit generating exercise in that I think I needed about 200 pounds to run my first event to put the the buffet on because it was always important to have food and drink and stuff like that and the venue was given to us for free uh, by Redgate Software mm -hmm. so um and in fact, Redgate Software managed to sort of like hire a couple of people from the marketing meetup off the back of it and stuff. So, you know, they're happy. 
Um, but yeah, straight from the off, we, we sort of had these relationships with sponsors um, initially to sort of cover the cost of the event. But as the brand recognition grew, then of course, you know, mm. we're getting, you know, actually fitting more sponsors in is is the problem nowadays rather than uh, the right. other way around, which is a, a really pleasant situation to be in. From yeah, so you're oversubscribed. In terms yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, which... Um, yeah, it's good. It's it's nice to be in that position. Um, yeah, definitely. you also have a marketing company, is that right? Empath. Yeah, well, yeah, on on the side. So I I do bits and pieces on the side. Uh, marketing consultancy strategy, uh, mostly strategic stuff. Mm -hmm. I have to say that I don't actually find the tactical implementation of marketing all that interesting, which is a bit of a shock, uh, a shock admission for the podcast. But you know, <laughs> I. I I, I, I find the dialogue around, you know, I, I 10x to my efforts on my website and, you know, got a million pounds MM, uh, ARR or something like that. You know, it, it just doesn't particularly interest me. Um, but the strategic sort of stuff, mm -hmm. coming up with a clear position, uh, a clear message, knowing who you're going to go after, uh, understanding the needs of the market. Uh, all these things are really, really interesting because they're about people. It's about yeah. matching you know there's a really bad equation for marketing which i share from time to time which is you have a customer with a need and a company with a product or a solution and really all you're trying to do as a marketer is communicate one to the other yeah. and, and, and ultimately the equal sign at the end of it is that there's a human life improved at the end yeah. and so i don't really care about the nuts and bolts all that much um but i do care about the the outcome and the the big sort of picture stuff that takes us along that journey and so mm. the lovely thing about marketing is that you can apply very similar sort of principles in a range of companies i was speaking with a um a flare gas management company the other day mm -hmm. i was applying the same principles as i was to a uh, a mental health first aid company you know a few weeks later so it's all very similar processes um, with very different outcomes of course um but once you've got those principles down, then then it's uh, it's good. But the thing about that is that I think it's very easy along the way to sort of, as marketers, because we've all digested mm -hmm. uh, diagnosis, strategy and tactics, to think that the whole world knows that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't. You know, everyone sees the tactics as what marketing is. Yeah. And uh, that's that's not a revelationary sort of statement. I think that's something that is said a lot in marketing circles. Mm. Um, but for the sort of lay person on the street, um, that's something that they see what marketing is and, and that's what they ask for. So actually to sort of come in and, and sort of say, well, have you understood your customer and what are your key messages? Mm. You'll often get sort of blank eyes and you need to take them on that journey. So um, that that's an exciting thing about doing what we do on sort of like a consultancy basis um, yeah fun. so it's, it's really quite difficult to understand the customer i mean when mm. you first started presumably you were creating it for yourself for people mm. like you but then how did you get to find out more about who was actually in the audience Just, once you'd sort of taken off of it yeah listen honestly how do you listen though because people often are not willing to give time to discuss because your brand doesn't really matter to them. They've got lots mm -hmm. to do. So mm -hmm. how do you actually get people to talk to you so you can find out more? 
Well, it really depends. So it depends on the company. So let's take a really morbid example, uh, a funeral parlor, you know, (laughs) that that would, that would be an example of a company that people really wouldn't want to sort of spend an awful lot of time speaking Mm -hmm. to. However, when you go through the process of, you know, uh, engaging a funeral parlor in, in that sort of situation, then your customers are going to be asking you a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. And every time you go through that process, you'll be able to recognize the questions that are being asked and sort of the, the patterns of behavior that are being displayed. Mm-hmm. And then you can go, oh, wait, that's really interesting. Let's sort of change because actually our marketing doesn't represent any of these questions that we're, we're sort of getting people to come with us for you know so let's let's start let's put an faq section on our website that sort of helps people Mm -hmm. sort of go through the process and know what's going to be important to them up front and make their process a lot easier Mm -hmm. you know that's a really easy example of like where you don't need to get like a focus group or or whatever you're just like observing listening to the customer then over the course of time refining what you're doing and you know that that's that's the first sort of step my dog's decided to start snoring in the background so. um and then you know you can do more formal parts of listening so you can do the focus group and you can ask the questions um so something that i do in my emails that i send to my community is ask a question every so often mm-hmm. so uh it can be as something as simple as how are you today um which is one could argue is a data point to suggest the general feel of the marketing community right now, which could help you tailor your communications in a way that sort of speaks to those people in that headspace. Um, that could be an example of listening a little bit more. But do they uh, actually reply if you send an email saying, how are you today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the beginning of COVID, at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. um, we sent a, an email to our entire database um and just said hi uh we're all scared right now and you know what if if you need someone to chat to you know just drop us a message and we'll reply we had over 200 replies that day um Mm -hmm. and i went through every one of them and and replied and had conversations and stuff like that people care if you show that you care (laughs) you know but people use this horrible language in marketing which is like we would love your feedback Mm -hmm. who cares if people want your feedback you know actually the thing that they want to help is is get a better process at the end a better product at the end improve their life in some way Mm. so if you can display that you're going to use that information in a way that is genuinely going to improve their life or help them through a problem that they're facing right now then all of a sudden you know people become more willing but that's about being far more human with these things it's you know putting this corporate language around it puts people's barriers up and they sort of go nah you're all right I think it's a, I sort of started this answer by saying, listen, and making it a super simple thing. But I I genuinely do think it's quite simple. You know, you're listening at every point that you possibly can through the process of engaging with your customers as they go through purchasing, but then also how they interact with your website, you know, what they're writing in Amazon reviews, what they're replying in your emails, what they're saying to your customer service team, who's sending an angry email to your CEO, you know, whoever it may be, these are all opportunities to learn. And if we don't take a defensive point of view on these things, then all of a sudden we can improve so much more because, you know, we're getting this feedback all of the time, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will throw it away and sort of say, no, nah, you know, it's all right. I'm not really interested. 
if you're really listening, you really, really care. I'll give one final example because it's already a long answer. But um, on our newsletter, on the newsletter sign up page, then we've got a simple type uh, type form um, that sort of sits up uh, straight after people sign up for our newsletter. Goes onto that page and we ask one question, which is how can we make this newsletter the most amazing experience for you? Language around that sort of mm-hmm. sort of ballpark. I've got a spreadsheet of like some 900 responses or something like that from oh. folks who have told us specifically how we can help them. And they might just be like a line or two, but it gives us a gauge on like where we should be going for that. So like there's opportunities throughout everything <laughs> to listen and learn. And I think sort of stepping out of that formal place and sort of saying uh, we have to listen in this way and actually just sort of really being in tune with those informal things is, uh, is really, really important. So do you think a Facebook group is essential for creating community? I mean, to create an environment where people can connect with each other, what else could you do apart from something like Facebook? I think if you take the principles of a Facebook group, I don't think it has to be a Facebook group. It could be a Slack channel. It could be a Discord group. Mm. It could be a forum, you know, or it could be in-person events. I think the important thing, for a community to grow is that they need a place where they can communicate with one another mm-hmm. and uh, do it in a place which sort of feels safe. Um, so you set the, 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 the standard in terms of the environmental uh, values, um, but then you allow folks to engage with one another in whatever environment it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it specifically has to be a Facebook group. Um, so the mini MBA, for example, used yeah, a, it's on LinkedIn. A, a LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Personally, I, I find the functionality of LinkedIn groups yeah. not great, um, yeah. particularly around sort of notifications, yeah. um, which is a shame because actually that was the best example of a LinkedIn group that I've seen, and it was yeah. still, it was still okay. You know, it, it was it was a good experience, but not an amazing experience for that yeah. LinkedIn group. Um, so I still think, in terms of best places to go, then Facebook is probably. Mm-hmm. right up there um however you sort of see in a lot of sort of tech focused groups and a lot of younger demographics mm-hmm. uh that they're using discord far more regularly to communicate uh, with, with, yes have a look at that yeah um then it obviously there are negative people around and you particularly mm-hmm. want people to be kind and Lovely. So have you come across situations where you had to deal with people being negative and how have you actually managed it? Genuinely, and I'm not just saying this, then I think I could could count on one hand the amount of bad interactions that I've had over six years of of the meetup. Um, And the thing that I attribute that to is sort of going up to up to 11 on the sort of loveliness stuff so even if people are like a seven or an eight then they're already far more lovely than the rest of sort of what you'd expect on a day-to-day basis Mm. um so i think there's a it's a cultural thing you know it's Mm -hmm. and and we see that in workplace cultures as much as we do in community cultures you have to be very very specific on the behaviors that you expect people to be Mm -hmm. but once you've done that it's re- for us it's been absolutely remarkable that you tell people to be lovely and they are mm-hmm. um 
the interesting thing is that in those sort of times where you know those five or six interactions which haven't been great they just haven't they just haven't landed mm-hmm. you know so someone said something negative and it's not about being mindlessly mindlessly optimistic but we're speaking about being unpleasant here yeah you know people just ignored it it's just you know it's just been water for ducks back and people go well that's not right for here so you know what i'm not going to interact Mm-hmm. and you know yeah. it's, it's that thing about don't feed the troll you know and and, and that's exactly what's happened mm-hmm. so um while of course bad things happen uh, i think the first defense against it is making sure your culture is really really strong mm-hmm. um after that point i would say outside of the marketing meetup because i do a lot of stuff sort of on my own sort of world of things mm-hmm. you know and, and they can be two separate entities um I've had bad interactions from time to time. And, and again, I've just chosen not to engage. It doesn't mean that they don't hurt because yeah. quite often they do and they will be the things because I'm a radical overthinker. So yeah. uh, I sit and I'll dwell on things and they will ruin my day. Mm-hmm. But it's a muscle that you get used to, you know, mm-hmm. used to developing. And um, there was only an example last week, you know, where there was a guy sort of making some funny comments and stuff like that. And like, it was a two second thing to just click into his profile and block him. Mm. And, you know, the, the mechanisms exist and rather than allowing myself to be drawn into that, that sort of world and and sort of having my day impacted and Mm. being a worse dad, I just sort of thought, nah, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to engage. So um, I I think that's probably the answer is if you can just don't engage because yeah, you don't need everyone's approval. That's not what you're there for. Um, there is one final example on that, which um, I appreciate it makes it a long answer, but I remember encountering once on LinkedIn, someone saying that my emails made their toes curl because of the tone of the email. They weren't, they hadn't tagged me into it. You know, they were just speaking about my work, um, but not to me. And I can't tell you the amount of pleasure that I derived from that because it proved to me that we were saying something that was worth saying because nobody reacts to this sort of gray space in between, you know, nobody reacts to gray, you know, it's either black or white. And, you know, we've, we've gone really, really hard on, on the loveliness stuff. And if they choose to opt out of that, it means we're saying something, but it also means that of course there's going to be people who don't agree with it and that's fine. You know, they can go somewhere else, (laughs) which isn't lovely. Well, I've got two more questions for you before we finish, Joe. One is uh, whether there are any books you recommend for community building. Mm -hmm. And the other is whether there's any brands you particularly admire for their community. Mm -hmm. So um, the the second one is easier to answer. So uh, HubSpot um, do a wonderful job at building community. certainly in terms of building resource, but they bring people together every year for their inbound conference. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a great central point where folks have been brought together um, and it's radically popular Um, in a similar vein. Salesforce do something very similar with their Dreamforce conference. Again, it sort of builds this sort of touch point for folks to come and interact with one another. Um, So just one annual conference they have? Yeah, However, HubSpot, there's a really great follow-up question there because HubSpot actually have a series of HubSpot user groups that take 
place across the world mm-hmm. um there's one in cambridge for example um which means that hubspot users can get together and speak about hubspot which is pretty amazing for a you know a yeah. b2b SaaS you know yeah. sort of company that people are that passionate about it mm. that they're willing to get together so that's a really good example uh people like harley davidson you know i don't think actually they've done a lot of it i think quite a lot of that's been quite organic mm-hmm. but you think about the community that's been built around that brand to the point where people are getting tattoos of the brand mm-hmm. uh, on their on their bodies you know shows the strength of the community that they've built uh another example is like iron man you know people are getting tattoos on their legs left right and center oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. having, having yeah having commu- uh, completed an iron man you know and 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 uh all sorts of all sorts of companies there's one lovely last example uh, which i'll give which is a company called journey further who are a marketing agency uh, how do you say that how do you spell it uh journey further so journey further okay yeah, yeah. and uh so journey further are a well thought of marketing agency up north however the thing about marketing agencies is that nobody really wants to speak to them if they don't have to (laughs) you know it's not something you want to interact with Um, however journey further have created a book club Um, it's run by a a girl called isabel um, who is phenomenal and she's passionate and she really cares about books Mm -hmm. Um, and over the course of time the conversation that journey further have um, is about books you know they're not speaking about their clients or their services or the awards they won they speak about books they speak about marketing books and stuff like that they've built a community of some five thousand people Mm -hmm. for a marketing around this marketing agency uh, including brands like spotify and you know like these amazing amazing companies and so they've flipped the narrative on its head about sort of what you have to do to build a community uh build build an agency and advertise it they've used community but done it in the truest sense of the word they don't mention journey further as an agency all that much at all mm-hmm. they speak about books but you know from time to time they'll get someone who's a little bit intrigued about the agency and, and that's how they kind of sort of make money off the back of it. oh i must look into them that's really yeah. interesting thank you no problem at all so really really great example but i think the most interesting element behind all of that is that the human being in the center of that community is someone who really really cares about building a community Mm. and the financial commercial success off the back of that is secondary to Mm. the 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 community element of it Mm -hmm. uh you asked about books and resources Mm. um i haven't read any particularly amazing ones um and the, the reason for that is that i think a lot of folks uh, try to engineer community to be some sort of funnel based activity mm-hmm. which is like it's about commercialism first um i think there can be commercialism as part of a community but it has to be about community first okay. uh, and for that reason i've decided that i'm going to write the book <laughs> so, so that's what i'm doing in my spare time right when is, now when you intending to publish that it will be this year uh so yeah so it'll be coming out so i guess uh that's that's another exclusive i guess and uh you know that will be out at some point this year so have you got a title for it yeah um we're we're playing around i, I, I might i might keep that one 
in, in the back pocket for now. So <laughs> it'll probably be something as imaginative as the marketing meetup, though. So, <laughs> so uh, for a book, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, that. you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, so yeah, that's that's that'll be coming out later in the year. Um, but, Have you read? Um, you know the guy who set up Zappos and Delivering Wow, he died recently, but he'd written some book about that people mention sometimes. Have you read I haven't, no. No, I'd I'd like to check it out. If if you could send a link or or say the name, then I'd be... uh, I don't know the name, but um, yeah, I'll I'll email it to you. Amazing. We'll pop it in the show notes or whatever as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much indeed, Joe. That's been great speaking thank you. to you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's my first podcast of the year, so it's a, it's it? a pleasure to break off the rust. So. <laughs>